and welcome along to House of Rugby Ireland here on Joe and together with Guinness. I'm Emer Constein and I'm here with Ian Madigan. Now, as you all may have seen, Fergus was one of the 12 Barbarians players who breached the team's bio bubble last week, ultimately leading to the game's cancellation. He greatly regrets what happened and has made a full apology. Fergus is going to take some time now to focus on his career. We do have a great show lined up today as we discuss some Irish lads who had great debuts, talk about the challenge that awaits Ireland in Paris, that final day of the Guinness Six Nations and some cracking Guinness Pro 14 action over the past few days. It's all coming up on today's show. House of Rugby Ireland, here on Joe, together with Guinness. Game changed. So during the week, we asked you to show us your setup for the game. The winner was going to be entered into the Guinness House of Rugby Hall of Fame. So Ian, what was your setup like for the game on Saturday? Um, obviously up in Belfast at the moment, we're in a bit of a strict lockdown. So I just watched the game here with um, with Anna. So it was nothing overly exciting, but the game certainly made up for that. Um, what about you, Ian? Where did you watch us? I was again stuck in my 5k radius so I was here in Dublin um, watching the game. Nice Saturday you know it was a, a full day of rugby on the couch. It was probably the laziest day I've had in a long time but a great weekend of rugby I suppose from Friday night all the way up until last night. I think I have made a dent in the, the couch from sitting down which is something that I'm completely not used to. Great weekend for Irish rugby you know comprehensive win against Italy and a clean sweep for the Irish provinces. So no, all around really positive and great win for the for the women as well. It was, it was obviously disappointing not to see you running out. I'm sure it was a, a stressful enough week year end. Yeah, it was. It, it. I'm not going to lie. It was a stressful week. But look, as everyone keeps saying, it's the times we're living in at the moment. And it was an inconclusive test, and then a negative test. You know, it's, at the end of the day, safety is the most important thing for both our team and the travelling teams coming over and, you know, it's it's hard to take and it's hard because you have a lot of training done and your name to start. Um, but look, the girls did amazing and a win is a win and we get another chance to play at home next weekend, which, you know, is super exciting and there's so much rugby to, you know, to still talk about and, and to play, which, you know, there's no point getting bogged down. It was one game and it, it was disappointing, but look, these are the things um, that have to happen. So um, what do you make of the, the Irish performance? I think, you know, we were expecting it to be a little bit rusty and, and there was a few errors on that, but, you know, they got into it for, for a finish and got exactly what they wanted out of the game in a 50-17 win. Yeah, certainly. Look, it was a very comprehensive performance and I think it was great to see some of the first cappers doing particularly well. Um, you know, the likes of Will Connors, uh, Hugo Keenan, you know, they brought through the form that they've been showing for, for Leinster over the last few weeks. Um, you know, I know personally from playing against Will in, in uh, the regular season game at the end of last season, he's a really, really tough guy to play against. You know, probably the best chop tackler I've ever seen. Um, you know, we went down his channel a few times at the start of that game and very quickly we realised we've got to start looking elsewhere because the way he tackles, he just gets the guys on the ground so quickly. And um, I know some teams use the tactic of sometimes it's wise to run at the opposition's best jackler so they can't jackal. But because of his tackle style, he gets them on the ground so quickly. It then presents opportunities for the guys around him like, we saw with Andrew Porter and, and CJ benefiting from some of his tackles, getting over the ball and getting turnovers and getting penalties. Um, but no, look, it was a very comprehensive performance for him, from him and um, it would be interesting to see if he gets another run this weekend. And um, I suppose yeah. for you, 
looking at Hugo Keenan at, at the back, how did, you, how did you think he went? Yeah, like he has been on form this whole time and I suppose deservingly so got that start on the wing. And I suppose we weren't sure whether he was going to get the start at fullback or, or the wing. And, you know, because he has played both and similar at Stockdale, we weren't sure where he was going to start or where his best position is. And I suppose Keenan, what an ideal start for him. Like you actually couldn't think of a better first cap. Like what a dream. I know it was probably disappointing not to have, you know, the crowd and the fans and your family and friends there, but he almost got three tries. A hat trick on your first on your first cap is is just a dream come true. He did so well. It wasn't just you know the tries that he scored. His defense, you know, his line speed, his um his aerial abilities, his footwork. He he provided so much, and and I'm glad that there that people like him and people that are in form are finally getting you know the chance to show just how good they are. Um, and he made up a really strong back three. Um, with Jacob Stockdale and Conway. I thought Conway was quiet enough, but Stockdale, you know, we were discussing last week whether he would be 15 and would be on the wing and what he can contribute to that 15 position. And, you know, I think we saw at the weekend that he's not just that, you know, catch and kick or get the ball and run into space kind of a person. You know, he has so much to his game that I think the 15 position allows him to to show off to the world that, yes, he has pace, yes, he has strength, but, you know, his evasion, that he cut through that Italian defence to set up... Um, Hugo for that try that was disallowed but like he he's not just a one-trick pony and he's in either you know in attack you know he can come in at first receiver he provides that two-sided attack with his left boot and Johnny on the open side with the right boot or whatever it is you know it's it's a nightmare for teams and it cre- I suppose Ireland's attack they played so well there was obviously lots of different elements to that but you know, we didn't just see the Murray Sexton kicking of the box kicks and, and exiting. You know, there was different dimensions to the game and Stockdale was really prevalent and really important in in that. And I suppose you've played with him in Ulster and you've seen him both on the wing and at 15 and and the influence that he has on, on you as a squad as well. Like he was, I thought I thought we saw another layer to Ireland's and how, how they can exit. Like obviously over the last few years, we've seen, you know, Murray box kicking very effectively and wingers chasing it. But that does limit you, you know. It's just a boxing. There's no running um, threat when you're when you're doing that. Um, whereas with Jacob now and his left left foot, obviously Johnny's got a good kicking game. Andrew Conway down the right is a very competent kicking game. You can hammer it down the channel, and that that opens you up with opportunities to decide to run the ball. If you're shut off, then you can drop it on your foot, kick it long. We saw that with Jacob. You know, he kicks the ball 60, 70 meters nearly every time. Or if you do decide to run. You can make easy, you know, 10, 15, 20 yards in the edge and then Murray can step up and it's a much easier boxing for him and you're kind of playing on top of teams with, with much more momentum. Um, I think against the top sides like, you know, England, France, New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, you need to have more layers to your game. I don't think it's enough to just have that kind of box kicking threat that, that Ireland have shown over the years. So it was great to see, you know, a bit more variation there and, and you know, them getting good pay out of it. Yeah, and even going back to the box kick um, and I suppose the lack of box kicks this weekend, you know, a lot of people were happy to to see that um, and different elements to the game. But I suppose Conor Murray did play one of his better games and even Jameson Gibson Park when he came on, like we saw like how risky and how like brave of him. Like I know if I was there, my first cap inside my 22, my first touch on the ball, there's no way in hell I would have chipped over the top. But two good performances from two from two very good nines and Gibson Park coming on. Um, like, do you think himself and Johnny had that planned in advance? Because it was his first touch. Like, it's pretty risky. Yeah. Ah, look, it was 
you know, it was a real shine of sign of a classy player. Um, I'm sure the call came in from Johnny, like judging by how he was setting the blocks and how quickly he burst through and, and did really well to regather the ball. Um, I think for James, you know, he's he's just come on, he's in the zone, he's got a call for you know a particular play, and he's just thinking executors. You know, he's not thinking negatively of oh, I'm in my 22, I, I don't want to do a risky play. I'm sure they've practiced it a few times during the week, and that the you know the video analysts had identified the space kind of behind the Italian defense, but in front of their backfield cover. And you know, it's a really tough kick that, and he's judged it, judged it to perfection. So um, no, I think. Ireland are well stacked at scrum half at the moment. You know, there's probably four really good options there with, with good experience. Um, you know, and even Caelan Blade at the weekend, I, th- I thought he was fantastic for, for Connacht against Edinburgh. You know, he showed real creativity with, with some clever kicks that, that led to tries. So, no, it's definitely an area that, that Ireland are, are really stacked in and it's great for, for competition. And that's it. It's really great that Ireland are stacked for competition and it's not just in the nine position, you know, it's it's across the board and, and we're seeing the influence that the bench had, especially, you know, at the weekend, but there's players there that, you know, any other day would be on the bench or starting for Ireland that are getting to miss out. I suppose it just shows the competition and and the bench did happen to show that um, influence when they came on in the second half. You know, they just cl- finished out the game and just were clinical in the end and, and it's, it's great to see. Yeah, like I think in previous years when, you know, a starting 13 of, of Gary Ringrose's quality gets injured, it, 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 it would have been a crisis, you know. And I remember when Draco got injured and, you know, towards hamstring in the Six Nations, you know, Ireland would come to a standstill because the guys who were backing him up, you know, were, were a big step down in, in the quality that he provided. But, you know, if you look at the Irish setup now, you've, you know, Henshaw, Bundy, um, McCluskey, all raring to go, ready to step in. And you, you're probably not losing anything with them coming in and, and they probably offer something else as well. So uh, So you're gonna say McCluskey, but I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Chris Farrell sticking from my Munster <laughs> side of things. So it's the Ulster Munster getting on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, too right. There seems to be a bit of Munster bias around here, I think. Uh, producer <laughs> Pat got a bit of abuse from Johnny here <laughs> about yeah. Peter O'Mahony and his amazing offload and how he always goes back to the Munster men. So I'm with producer Pat here with that, <laughs> sticking to the Munster guy. But yeah, look, being able to bring on someone like Henshaw, like you're not actually weakening the squad in yeah. any way, you know. The, and I suppose the, the partnership that he has had with Bundy, you know, it's not as if it's, yes, Henshaw and Ringrose have, have lost experience playing together, but similarly, you know, Bundy and Ringrose do, or Henshaw do as well. And even bringing on Peter Mahoney, the experience he brings in, you know, in relation to managing the lineout, And it's not just, you know, he mightn't, do anything spectacular, he, he will get the jackals, he will be there for rock cleanouts, he will control that line out defensively in an attack and and I suppose you need people like him on on your bench to come on. Yeah, certainly. Like you know, if, if Pete was on the bench again this weekend, I think having that kind of canon influence of someone who's got as much experience as him could be huge. You know, if 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 it does come down to Ireland needing a third and fourth try and, and, and securing the win against France, we'll need experienced guys there to, you know, steady the ship and, and be the calm head to call the right call and, and be brave enough. You know, that's that's ultimately what it's probably going to come down to this weekend. It's going to be a serious challenge going over to France, probably needing five points. Um, but I think we saw, you know, in the in the, the France-Welsh game, they do provide the opposition with plenty of opportunities. And, you know, Wales got a soft 10-point lead and I think if Ireland got that, it would be much harder for France to, to pull them back. 
Um, but yeah, how, how do you think they'll go at the weekend? Like going over, like France is always going to be hard. You know, we haven't got a very good scoring record against France in the last, you know, what is it, the last eight tries and eight visits. Like it's not a lot and we need, you know, we need that bonus point win. I suppose we're in a good position in that we're going over or we're playing the game against France and we're the last game knowing that we're 23 points ahead of England, I suppose. So we can see the results and see what we need to get going into that game. But as a player, I suppose you've been there in 2014, 2015, and you know France are no easy feat and they're no easy task. And those two really different performances and two really different situations. You came off the bench in, in both of those games. You know, what, what were you thinking? I know for Ireland, they'd rather know what they have to get at the weekend, whether it's five points or whether it's just a win. And, and um, you know, the points difference is looked after itself. But yeah, I remember back in, in 2015 coming off the bench and we were playing before England and France and we knew that obviously we had to win the game and get a bonus point, but also make it as difficult as possible for Fra- for England to build up a score um, against France for the points difference. So... Um, I don't remember a whole lot from the game, but I, I do remember I had a kick at the end, a penalty kick to you know get three more points in the last kick of the game to make it more difficult for England. And I missed a relatively easy kick. So it was a very nervy couple of hours afterwards because England, the England-France game kicked off just as we finished. Um, and France came out of the blocks really quickly, like scored two quick tries. And I was thinking, grand, I'm, I'm in the clear here. Went in, got showered up, um, having a crack, having a crack with a few of the lads, and then came back out. And England had started this like great comeback, so I was then like stressed out again. I had the calculator out, like working out what the points difference was and what um, England had to get to. And I remember sitting having the meal with Johnny, and like the, the score kept ticking up, and like we were both stressed out, and. I was particularly stressed and Johnny could kind of sense that. And he was like, here, look, if it does come down to it, don't beat yourself up. Like it wasn't because of your missed kick. If we do come second, you know, I miss loads of kicks throughout the Six Nations that I should have got. And, you know, it helped my nerves a bit, but it was just such a cagey, you know, two hours watching the game. And ultimately it came down to uh, England being on France's line in the last play of the game. And if they got a try, they would have passed us out by... I think it was two points, which was just the worst case scenario. Like if you, they passed us out by 10 points, it wouldn't have felt bad. But if it was within that three point margin, it was literally worst case scenario. And they end up knocking the ball on in overtime. And the uh, French fullback, Huge, picks the ball up in the in goal area. And I'm just like, kick it out. And <laughs> typical French, he goes to play out from his own in goal area in like injury time. Plays out, they knock the ball on, suddenly England are attacking again. Eventually, they knock the ball on before they score. And I've never in my life experienced relief like it. Um, I remember bumping into Joe Schmidt soon afterwards. He gave me a big hug. He was like, you're a very, very lucky boy. I was like, to your eyes. <laughs> I wouldn't have wanted to bump into him if, if we hadn't gone over the line. No, I'm sure he wasn't the only one that was thinking like that as well. But... Yeah, look, a bonus point win against France is not an easy task at the weekend. Um, so you have a little bit of experience playing over there and you know some of the players quite well. What will France like what are we what are we hoping to do against France at the weekend to I suppose capitalise on their strength in the midfield? Like we've got Vakatawa, they've their nine ten partnership that are used to playing with each other and to Mac and um Dupont. You know, there's plenty of we know there's plenty of um 
you know, world-class players. So, so what are Ireland going to do? You know, what's their first plan come Saturday yeah. afternoon? It's a tricky one because you're going over there probably knowing that you need five points, but that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, first penalty in their half at the start of the game, you're thinking, right, kick to the corner, we need tries, you know. Um, you could still go the route of, you know, getting three points, building threes, you know, six, nine, twelve, putting France under pressure and forcing them to play. Like, they'll be looking to win the game, forcing them to play a bit more. And you might only have one try after 60 minutes, but you could have France broken at that stage. Um, and you could end up getting three tries in the last 20 minutes. So, like, I'd, I'd very much be of the belief that they've got to go over there, play their own game, and, you know, build their way into it, manage France, play play the ball in the right areas. Um, and we saw in the, in the Welsh game that they do present um, their opposition with with plenty of try scoring opportunities and you know Wales built up an easy 10 point lead in that game and um I think if they do that to Ireland it's going to be much harder to peg them back than than how they did it against Wales at the weekend Exactly and I suppose looking towards the Ireland squad um for the weekend you know nothing named at the moment but Keane Healy is set to win his 100th cap so what an achievement and you would have obviously played quite a lot with him Glenster and with Ireland um you know he he came back from really bad, almost career-threatening injury and I suppose to get to the 100th test cap mark is is some achievement. Yeah, it's phenomenal for, for Keane. I think single-handedly he's, you know, changed the expectations of a loose-head prop at, at international level, you know, seeing how mobile he is, his ability to jackal, his carrying ability, um, how good he is defensively and I think even in Ireland, we, you know, we take for granted how good his scrummaging is. You know, something in previous years that we really struggled with, that loose head and tight heads, um, we just take it for granted with Keane. Um, but no, look, it's been a fantastic achievement for him. Um, he's overcome some really nasty injuries, you know, between his, his neck and, and his hamstring. And um, I think everyone in Ireland would be absolutely delighted to see him reach that 100 at the weekend. I wish him the best of luck. I suppose I can't look past the women's Six Nations game. Another um, two out of two for the Irish teams at the weekend, which is really, really promising um, going into a tough game against France. Um, did you happen to see any of the game? Yeah, I did. It was a great game. Actually, I thought the Italians were very good. You know, took took Ireland on physically in the, in the first half. And um, I know the, the, the Italian 12 was a brilliant carrier and kind of the centre of a lot of what they did. And you know they were deserving of their seven 0 lead, but in fairness to the to the to the women, they stuck to it and and ground them down and you know scored some great tries. Yeah, like I think you know the slow start was to be expected. Like just it's been months since we've played. Like we've had no um, competitive games, no interpro games, no club games. Um, I'm not sure if the Italians did either, but you know the sloppiness and the the rustiness was seen on both sides of the ball. I think I think um, Italy had so many chances early on to capitalize on our our, on our our tight defense we were very tight very narrow in defense and just I think a, a drop ball or a bad pass or a knock-on just saved us in in the early stages of the game until we until we actually found our flow but yeah it was it was a good start and a, and a start that we needed going into France at the weekend and some really good performances there like everyone's talking about Claire Malloy but she really is what they say about her like she's a phenomenal leader as someone who's played with her since 2017 you know she's the one that sets the standards whether it's an attack and defense in everything that she does and for someone like her to come back after a sabbatical working in A&E through this whole COVID situation 
like she's phenomenal and to have and to be able to come back your first international game back and she hasn't had her rugby played um as a result of of her job and to be that good you know it's it just is there's so many amazing players on the team and so many good performances um Lindsay Peake came back after a broken leg um she broke her leg in that last game against England and to come back at 39 years of age she's 40 next week um She's shown us all up. She's hitting PBs in training. She's hitting your max Bs in, in on her GPS. And it's like, what the hell is she doing? She's a machine and, and like just such putting us all to shame. But you know, I suppose we have to look at what the French the French have done ahead of our game at the weekend. Yeah, I thought that was an incredibly nice gesture from them, you know, uh giving up their home home advantage. Um, you know, what did you make of that? Yeah, like, you know, we were in a really tricky situation. We got word last week in the last few weeks that we were going to have to take unpaid leave due to the quarantine rules. And technically we're we're amateurs, even though we're playing in an elite status. So, you know, we all work. We all have jobs. We're students or nurses, teachers, doctors, guards. You know, there's everyone has a job. And two weeks unpaid leave was just, I think a lot of us were willing to do it. You know, it was, there was some that couldn't and, and that's understandable, but I suppose we went to France with it and they came back, which was amazing. And, and we're so lucky that they get to come to come to Ireland on Sunday and play us. And I suppose it just shows the, I suppose it just shows rugby and how good it is and how, you know, um, you know, it's, it's a great gesture of solidarity so that our game could go ahead because essentially we weren't going to be able to field a team. We wouldn't have had enough players to go over. And you don't want to go over against France after, you know, four wins in the Six, Nation, in the Six Nations and, and go over to France with, um, you know, half a team and, and not play the best team you have and not play the best type of rugby you can play. So really exciting. Um, and it made it even more exciting the fact that they drew with Scotland last week, which means we actually have a chance of coming second England are crown champions they just have to um beat I'm not sure they're playing at the weekend to win the grand slam so you know we can't win it but we can finish second place which is you know really promising and you know we beat France in 2017 it's been a long time since we've beaten them but you know Scotland have showed us last week that they are beatable and I suppose we'll go into that game really positive and on the back of a good performance but also knowing that they're they're just normal even though they might be pro and um, train at a different level to us, but I suppose we're all human at the end of the day. Yeah, obviously with them, you know, being fully professional and you know, ultimately that's allowed them to to make this gesture of coming over and playing the game in Ireland. Um, you know, have you noticed? Obviously, France and, and England are fully professional, continue being fully professional after the World Cup. Um, have you noticed the gap widening between you know France and England and the other international sides, or you know, how have you found that over the last few years? Yeah, like I think there's no looking past the fact that England are just on a different level at the moment. And it's all down to their structures and I suppose the funding that's been put in place in the English system. Um, I suppose you saw it over in Bristol when you were over there that the men and women are under the same kind of umbrella over there. Yeah, like they're much more um, intertwined both at at international level, but even at club level. So um, where I was playing in Bristol... um, all the teams are under the same ownership. So you've basketball, soccer, rugby, um, and women's teams for, for each. Um, and for, for us with the rugby, it was great. Like we, we were able to go down and, um, on a weekly basis, players would go down and, and help coach, you know, individual skills, whether it was, you know, scrum half passing or, um, going down, helping with goal kicking or breakdown work. 
um, and then the women would come back and they they'd view our trainings and 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 they were very involved and uh, the head coach of the women now is one of the one of the um, past players at Bristol. So it was great that there was you know you built a you build a relationship that way and it was very similar with the soccer we were able to go to their games and and they they come and watch some of our trainings and vice versa. Um, I think the more kind of interaction you can get between the, the women and, and men, it's only beneficial. And, um, you know, what would you think with that? Like, would you like to be more inv- involved with with the men setup? You know, at international level, and you think it, that would be beneficial? Yeah, like we can always benefit from, I suppose, outside sources and outside, um, like the men's team, because you know your your job at the end of the day is to train and to train like professionals and if we can learn even one thing about you know what you do in relation to your training or your recovery or your your lifestyle to make us better rugby players well everyone's going to benefit from that you know we're all on the same team whether it's the men's or whether it's the women's team and um yeah like it's interesting to find out you know like like there is huge differences obviously between the men's and the women's teams you know we may be amateurs but we train like professionals but i suppose the main difference there is that you know we don't get the recovery or like we have our SNC coach, we have our gym sessions, we have our pitch sessions, our skill sessions, we have video analysts, GPS, everything. We have all the services available to us. But I suppose the main difference that we don't have is time or we don't have the time to recover. Like I think that the men would get to do, like I just always remember we played England in the November series a few years back and we played them over in Twickenham and it was a great game. We didn't win, but you know, it was one of those performances that you were really proud of. But our 10 went off after 15 minutes and did our ACL. We had a broken hand. We had a dislocated shoulder. We did ruptured spleen. I had concussion. We ran out of subs. Like we were broken after that game. And like, I remember our Dr. Frank at the time, he was so stressed trying to medically check us all out before we got on that flight because he genuinely hadn't enough time to deal with us all. Like we were like the walking wounded walking through that airport. And I remember being in work the next day and I had a split and headache, but like I had to get into work because I, I missed so many other days to play that you can't miss the days you're not playing. Yeah. And I remember being in teaching Leaving State Irish, like first class that day. And I said, the English girls are probably sitting on a massage bed right now with, <laughs> you know, getting active recovery, similar to probably what you do um, yeah. on your Monday. What kind of stuff would you do on your on your recovery days, like yesterday after the game on Sunday? Like, what does yeah. your usual recovery day look like? Like, I I just have so much respect for for what you've explained there, and even like the Gaelic football lads, you know, going in teaching or working in a bank or whatever job it might be. Like for me, after a Sunday game, to think that I'd have to go and work on a Monday morning, you know, your your sleep after a game is generally very poor. Like you know, you've hammered a load of caffeine to get yourself you know, in the right frame of mind for playing the game. And then for me, like waking up, I'd, I'd just be very stiff, very sore, haven't slept well, not probably not in a great headspace. Um, you know, the height of what I'd be doing on my day off would, you know, into the club, get a flush out, go for a swim. And then I'd probably come back in the afternoon and try and catch up on some sleep, like get like a two hour nap, making sure I'm eating really well. Um, like even that, like all our meals are laid on for, so you don't even have to really worry about your diet. Um, yeah, but like for you guys to to be able to like I think the biggest challenge as well is like even your timetable because you're if you're working you know a standard job of nine till five or six it means you have to train very early in the morning and then or else you're you know you might have to do your gym work in the morning and then do your pitch sessions you know in the evening and 
I know myself when I train at let's say six or seven o'clock at night, it's very hard to wind down afterwards. You know, you're rushing in your dinner, quick share, barely any time to wind down. And then as a result, your recovery and your sleep is affected. Like, and it just kind of has a knock on effect. I'm sure you, you find at times you're just kind of chasing your tail throughout the week. Yeah, like I, there's so many times I just wish you could just press pause for a second just to catch up with everything. And it's it's not even the training side of things. Like the training you enjoy and you don't mind doing it, but it's as a result of you've been up at five in the morning to make that gym session at six. It's you you don't get enough sleep, so you're wrecked and you're completely chasing your tail. You're you know you just have to be organized with everything. And I think it's whether it's your food, whether it's your schoolwork, whether it's your um, recovery, you just have to be a little bit more organized and spend the time planning and like it's the it's the little things like your hydration and your food and all that that really can't take a backseat either um they're the important things but it it is difficult but like you know we all make a choice to do it and and we do have the the setups to help us and to guide us through and like our snc orla like she checks you know our sleep every day and our stress every day and um some days that can be higher than others and it will be flagged and your training load will be reduced as a result or i remember i tore my calf back in the first before the first game in the Six Nations and it had been active schools week that week and Andy my cast retired actually and Andy our physio told me you know you need to first thing a physio tells you to do is just you know get off your feet like I'm a PE teacher in active schools week like I cannot afford to get off my feet and as a result that weekend I tore my calf and he was able to like track it back to my week my load that week and you know it's the luxury that we don't have is getting off our feet like I was in, in school with a dead leg two weeks ago and you're trying to demo things and you're like look get someone else to do it for me because you know it's 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 not possible that's just the reality that we do and I think because all of us are in the same situation we have that respect and trust for each other knowing that like you could be somewhere else right now but you're choosing to be here and you're choosing to get up at five o'clock in the morning to do your gym session and there's sacrifices we make and I think that makes us bond together as a squad a little bit more because you're making sacrifices to be where we are yeah certainly yeah I think as well it probably ties in like you're more inclined to have the odd bad day because you don't know what else is going on in your job you know outside of your life whereas for us in a professional environment there's much less excuses there you know the expectation is you're you're turning up every day and and you're you know ready to go and be at your best and um you know that's certainly demanded of you but I think for you guys just talking about being at your best there like obviously there's the physical side of the preparation in relation to you know you how many times you train a week but would you do a lot of mental prep heading into games like I feel that's one aspect of my game and maybe the women's game that we lack in slightly because it's the time I suppose we don't have and like how important would you would you rate like your mental prep or how do you deal with the pressure of pre-game nerves heading into important games yeah I suppose like for me like I, I I've dealt with nerves throughout my career like it's something that I would have had throughout school I was you know, always got quite nervous leading into games. And um, I suppose as my career has gone on, I've actually kind of enjoyed that nerves. If I didn't get nervous and it has happened at times, it's probably because I didn't care as much. And that that's not a good feeling to have, you know, um, while you might be more relaxed and it doesn't necessarily mean that you're not going to play well. I now find that I like kind of building up games and, and feeling nervous. And, and then I think that spurs me on, it, you know, definitely increases my adrenaline and makes me focus better. But for me, I'll be quite planned out in, in how I go about my week. And I find by ticking off a certain amount of stuff within the week, um, whether it's, you know, my goal kicking, tackling, passing, all my gym work, um, you know, once I've got all that stuff mapped out, 
at the weekend before a game and then I go through that kind of process throughout the week as I get closer to game time I can kind of look back on that body of work that I've done and kind of reassure myself here look I'm ready to go for this game as opposed to looking at the game as a whole and going oh my god am I ready for what's to come um so that would be I suppose a big part of it um but I'd use other tools as well like I'd you know take you know 15 20 minutes to visualize the plays that we're going to be doing throughout a game and, and you know, what I think the, the opposition are going to defend. Um, so I can see certain pictures. And then when I get to a game, it's almost like second nature. It's like I've been there before. Um, and then uh, I use, um, you know, I've highlight reels that I use, you know, it's a bit vain, but um, I think, you know, looking back at good footage of yourself and kind of reassuring yourself that, that you're, you know, a good player and, um, I'm sure for you, you know, you hadn't played in, you know, seven or eight months. I'm sure you were questioning yourself at times coming back into the international fold. Yeah, dead right. You know, like I went through a phase last week of being like, Jesus, I haven't tackled in in months. I like I haven't played a game. My last game was that English game back in back in February. You know, it's a long time. Even though you know we've done it in training, we've done tackle bags, we've we've played fifteen to fifteen in training. But I think you doubt yourself a lot as a player and, and those highlight reels are exactly what you need. And personally, I, I do the same as you in that visualization that you visualize yourself making that tackle or, you know, getting that high ball exiting properly. And that's, I wouldn't, I think it's one area of my game I can definitely improve on is the, the psychological side of my preparation. But um, visualization is one tool that I, I would use quite a bit and, you know, you're you're visualizing yourself making that last tackle like as a fifteen. It's a nightmare. It's like it's. I don't know what about you, but one of the nightmares that I often have is last man back, and you are one on one with somebody, and they have thirty meters of space, and it's like damned if I do, I'm damned if I don't here. You know, there's no good outcome. Mm-hmm. And like I don't know about you, but like there's been so many times that I have missed tackles, and it's just like you know, that's just another one, another one gone. Yeah, I think like. One of the big things that like makes me nervous before a game would be I'd be worried about like two particular things. Like one of them would be getting roasted by someone on the outside. Like, you know, everyone sees it. There's no getting away from it. Um, you know, I think back like a few years ago, I came up one on one against Christian Wade in like a pretty small space. Like I, I the defender tied on my inside and he's just You're supposed to say there's loads of space. Yeah, there was not much space. He has stood me up. I've dodged, I haven't even done. Um, but like that sticks with you for quite a while, and you know it's 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 very hard to kind of forget that memory, and you, you're that something that would worry me. Like you don't want to get shown up for speed in a game, and I suppose the other one would be like getting run over by someone. You know, and someone just takes you on one on one and looks to run over the top of you. Um, I know recently, like I just back into the Irish setup with with Ulster and and Bundy Aki got the ball one on one with me and. Got, you know, got over the top more. And like, it's, it's a tough one to take. And it, it does feel like it's kind of a long road back from it. Um, but I suppose you just kind of go back to what you can do in, in training to best prepare yourself, what you're going to come up against in a game. And like for you with those one-on-ones, I'm sure you're out there, you know, practicing during the week to best prepare yourself for the weekend. That's it. I suppose you have to look at it and make sure that you've, like you said, ticked every box on the way to, to getting there and whether it's physically or mentally and, I think once you have, once you're prepared and I feel like, you know, your physical prep leads into your mental prep as well. Like if you know you've, you know, you've hydrated well, you've done a great gym session this week, your passing's gone well, your kicking's gone well. It psychologically affects you in that game as well, that you're like, no, I have everything done. I am ready for this game. And 
Um, there is no better feeling going into that game. Absolutely, absolutely ready. Yeah. Um, great. Okay. We're going to take a quick break before we come back with the Guinness House of Rugby Hall of Fame um, and that about the weekend's Trifest and the Guinness Pro 14. We are going to hear from Peter O'Mahony and Johnny Sexton in Ireland camp. Yeah, well, I, I suppose we just have to wait and see, don't we? Uh, but all we can control at the moment is our performance. And um, so what we're trying to, I suppose, emphasise to everyone in, in the squad is that we need to get our performance right no matter what. If it's just a win, if it's um, a bonus point win, um, you know, we're still going to have to play well no matter what. So let's just focus on, on that aspect. And, um, you know, hopefully we know that if we can perform well, that we'll give ourselves chances. And then it's up to us to try and take those chances on the day and be clinical. Yeah, a, lot, a lot's happened since. Um, yeah, it, feels, it does feel like a long, long time ago, um, but it's it's great to be back in, in that situation now where we've got a, a trophy on the line. Uh, we know that it's, it's in our own hands in many ways, no matter what happens in the games before it, we'll still be going onto the pitch, being able to win the, the trophy, which is, uh, it's what you play for. It's, it's you, you, you play, you train hard for these big days and um, yeah, we're looking forward to it now and like I said we're just trying to concentrate on our performance and, and make sure if we can get that right um, it gives us a chance I think their just ability to, to score out of nothing uh, and I suppose that points to the to the individual flair that they have you know DuPont and Tamak at, um, at half backs um, you saw them against Wales last weekend how you know it looks like you know Wales are, are defending well and then out of nowhere they're, they're gone you know what I mean uh, Fakatawa has obviously been in, in great form uh, Fiku's been been doing well, so from a back's point of view, they've just got threats throughout, and we're going to have to be uh, unbelievably, you know, t- connected and together. Because if you show them that those dog legs in defence or uh, th- those big gaps, you know, they're they're through it like uh, pretty quick. So um, yeah, from a back's point of view, and then up front they've got they've got power, don't they? They've got fiz- big men and, and, and lots of power. So it's a big ask. Uh, we know that, but we're we're preparing ourselves for a big performance been I suppose a competitive athlete and in the environment that we're in everyone wants to play you know what I mean and that's that's not always possible and I have to say it's it's an incredibly enjoyable environment and we're bouncing off each other and we're learning of course I'd be sitting here I'd be lying to you if say I didn't want to start but you know at the end of the day there's 23 people need to take the pitch at any given time on a Saturday or a Sunday and you know there's there's, there's a massive emphasis put on our bench um, to come on and, and, and not just not just, I suppose, uh, roll in, but to make a difference, you know what I mean? There's guys out there who've been been out there for whatever, 55, 60, 65 minutes, and, and you've got to make a difference and be different when you come on. And, um, you know, that that's the pressure we put on ourselves. Um, I wouldn't say it's frustrating, you know what I mean? Certainly competitively, I want to play every game, I want to start every match. That's, that's just the way we all are as a group. But I think we understand that... Um, you know, team comes first, and uh, you've got to be best prepared to play 79 minutes or, or 80 minutes or 15. Doesn't matter what you get; you've got to be ready to go. Yeah, look, obviously it's not ideal, but you know, given the circumstances, you know, there's a good chance uh, myself and the lads won't be the last people to do it. You know what I mean? There's, you know, uh, you've heard from us already. We're we're very privileged to be in the position that we are, that we can still go to work. Um, you know, every day. At the moment, there's, there's people going through a lot worse than we are, or, or the lot, a lot worse than, than I did for two weeks on my, on my own. You know what I mean? It's it's um, it's 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 fairly 
trivial to be honest with you uh, if you put it in, in context so um, I'm certainly not going to be sitting here whinging about it it's, it won't be the first time or last time that's going to be happening to, to someone in this group but look you just got to battle on with it and, and that's what I did I've had 68 or 69 or 67 battles every week You, I played for Ireland uh, I, you know, I, I've worked um, as hard as I physically could to to get a jersey whether it was on the bench or whether it was starting um, you know you there's nothing taken for granted. There's nothing given in these in these circles. Um, you know, when I first started, you look at the back row that was there, and every single weekend you look at the back rows that I was involved with, and and now the back row at the moment, it's never been anything but probably the most competitive position on the pitch. So, um, you, we're in a battle every week to get a jersey, not a mind to start. So, I, I have to say I'm hugely enjoying it and, and learning from it. Um, you know the performance from the back row, the starting back row at the weekend was, I thought, second to, to to none. You know what I mean? They were, I thought, their energy, their their moments in the game, um, the amount of work they got through was was incredible. And um, you know, from a team point of view, you know, you couldn't be prouder of 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 the way the team worked at the weekend, and particularly the back row. So, as I said, it's 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 an absolute battle every every weekend to get any jersey in this team. House of Rugby Ireland, here on Joe, together with Guinness. Game changed. So last week on the show, we inducted our very first member, Dave Walton, into our Guinness House of Rugby Hall of Fame. Before the Italy game at the weekend, producer Pat asked everybody on the Facebook group to send along some pictures of your home setups for the game. There was huge response to that and some really sweet setups too. A big shout out to Quiva, Jonathan, Aidan, Mike, Jamesy, David, Terry, Ray, Joe, John, Stephen, Fanola, Connor, Shane, Deborah, Andy, Sharon and Jay for their entries. But our winner and latest Hall of Fame member is Thomas Bohan. Producer Pat had a little bit of a link with you and he thought, feck it, I'll tidy up the kids' toys later. Um, it resonated with him and you just focused on the match. You got your priorities straight, Thomas, that's for sure. So well done, Thomas. You are our newly inducted member into the Guinness House of Rugby Hall of Fame. Now, we can't finish up this chat without mentioning the high glut of high scoring games that we had in the Guinness Pro 14 at the weekend. Ian, you got your first home start for Ulster in the number 10 jersey. Um, how did you find that? Yeah, it was great. Obviously, a bit unusual. Happened to wait um, four months to get my first kind of home start in 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 the Kingspan Ravenhill. Um, obviously, because of the lockdown, we, we played some of our home games in the Aviva, and then um, I didn't play the first first game, first league game of the year. But no, it was great. Obviously, you know, we train in in the Kingspan quite a bit, and it's a fantastic surface. You know, really big pitch. Um, Bit surreal again, playing in front of no no supporters. That would have been particularly special to to play there for the first time, having home support there. Uh, but no, it was great. Like it, the home games are really special. You know, being able to roll out of bed and and do your own preparation, and then go down to the stadium with lots of time to spare and not having to deal with with travel. You know, I almost forgot what it felt like. So it was that was brilliant. And um, for the game to go as well as it did was great. And, you know, another five points and we're, we're three from three now, which is great. And heading into what will be a, t- a tough game this weekend against Cardiff. Um, you know, I thought they put it up to, to Munster well last night, but I'm sure you're, you're impressed with Munster's performance. Yeah, like you have to take the good with the bad. Um, 
they still got three points and three three tries, which I know that Munster won't be happy with. So even though there was elements of, you know, enjoyment in the way that Munster played and the way they offloaded and were exciting to watch an attack, you know, they have to look a bit at their defence too. And the the three tries that Cardiff got were, you know, I suppose good tries, but defensive errors at the same time. So, um, yeah, look, I think everyone has been complaining quite a while about the way that Munster have been playing with, you know, one-off box kicks and no real creativity in their in their attack. And I suppose traditionally Munster, you know, were that dogged team to get, you know, they grind out grind out tries through their forward pack. And that still was the case. So they're still the same Munster try scoring machine in the pack and, and the pack did really well. Um, but along with that, they showed the excitement and the expansive rugby and the offloading game. Like I think they had 17 offloads yesterday. And I think their average last year was five per game. So, you know, Stephen Larkin got quite a bit of stick in relation to, you know, what is he bringing as the attack coach? And I think we're finally starting to see it as as a Munster, as a Munster team. And yes, I am absolutely delighted with that Munster. They're three from three as well. So the Irish provinces are doing pretty well. Um, Leinster three from three again, a 63-8 win against Zebra. So their new caps as well, their hooker um, getting that try, getting those two tries. And um, I suppose you were there, you were through that Leinster, you know, you've come through the ranks through there. And I suppose the one thing we've noticed with Leinster recently is that they, they're they given those young guys the opportunity to play. Like Leo Cullen is backing those young guys. And, and we see it with Hugh O'Keen and we see it all across the board. And it's even happening, I think, down in Munster that we're seeing, you know, the likes of Ben Healy and Craig Casey getting their chances to start and only 21 years of age. But was that the case when you were with Leinster? Like, did you have to, you know, wait it out until it was your time or if you were you were good enough, you were old enough? Yeah, like there, there definitely were cases of guys being good enough, um, even though they might have been 18 or 19. I remember Luke Fitzgerald playing the first year out of school, same Rob Carney played and, and went on to play for Ireland within a, a year of, of leaving school. So, um, but saying that there wouldn't have been the same numbers of, you know, 18, 19, 20 year olds that are getting opportunities now. Um, now part of that is because of the international window, but also how squads are going, you know, probably looking more to, to younger guys than they would have in, in previous years. And the quality of the academy setups, the, you know, these younger guys, they're, they're physically in better condition than they, than younger players would have been 10 years ago because they're undertaking uh, strength and conditioning programs from probably the age of 14 or 15 in school. And as a result of that, when they get to 19, 20, they're they're physically ready to play men's rugby. Um, And we certainly saw that. You know, I thought Dan Sheehan was was fantastic at the weekend. What struck me was after the game, when he got got awarded the man of the match photo, um, sorry, the man of the match award after his flary enough interview he was standing beside reese ruddock and they're they were the same size you know reese is a huge man and for, for this guy to be playing hooker he must be about six foot maybe six foot four um i thought the way he got around the pitch was very impressive he looks like he's got really good basics to his game um you know good throw of the ball good set piece and and really hungry to carry the ball so he's definitely one for the future Absolutely. And I suppose another positive from that game was the return of Dan Levy after that 18 month absence that he have that he had with that, I suppose, horrendous injury he got. Um really positive and I suppose positive on, on all fronts in relation to Leinster and Ireland that he is back on the pitch and almost bagged himself a try. Yeah, I was delighted for Dan. You know, it's been a long long road to recovery for him, but um I know he, he got a try that was disallowed, but I think everyone 
took serious satisfaction in seeing him open his legs up and showing that he, he certainly hasn't lost any of his pace. And I'm sure we'll see him build back the form over the next few weeks and months and, and hopefully back into the international setup in, 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 uh, in the near future. Exactly. And I suppose staying with the the Irish games, um, Connacht again had another win over the weekend for a clean sweep um, with the Pro 14. And, you know, five tries away to Edinburgh is, is not always an easy task, but I suppose they made the most of the Scottish internationals being away, um, you know, getting those five tries. And like you said a while ago, Caelan Blade um, sneaking around with that really cheeky kick and it bounced up perfectly fine. So they're playing that type of was expansive rugby that you know Connacht have been trying to play in the last few years and and it's it's paying off for them yeah I, I thought that was a great win you know going over to Edinburgh is really tough um and even like they got you know an injury at out half early on Tom Daly who's uh very much an out and out center stepped in and I thought he was absolutely fantastic at out half you know kicked his goals really well controlled the game you know played the, the ball in the right areas and if anything he showed that maybe playing out half isn't as hard as we make yeah. it out to be <laughs> um, no, he look, I thought it in seamlessly. Yeah, he did. No, he was great. Um, I was delighted for him. He's he's a player who um, I knew. You know, during my time in Leinster, obviously he's he's had the last few seasons down in Connacht, and he's played um, you know thirty or forty caps in the last few seasons. And you can see now he's really finding his feet and 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 playing fantastic rugby. He's a great athlete, and whether he's playing. 10, 12 or 13, I think he's going to be, you know, a huge part of Connacht and, and someone who can definitely push for international honours further down the line. Yeah, I would have known Tom from when he was in the sevens programme along with Alex Wooten, who again was on the wing and was fantastic with the brace of tries at the weekend. Himself and John Port on the wing, well, John Port at 15, a former Aussie sevens player. They're two players that you just, as a winger, as a fullback, as a player in general, you just don't like to see them running down your channel because as we spoke about a while ago, getting burnt is something that like, I think would happen fairly often with those two right in front of you, but they showed their pace and they showed their power um, from that, I suppose their sevens experience as well, but nightmare to have them in front of you. Yeah, certainly. I think the way Connacht are, are playing, you know, they're playing with great width, getting the ball to their fast guys and, and, and then, you know, they've got great ball players in their pack and, um, they're definitely a side that's going to be competing at the top end of their conference. So look, four wins out of four for the Irish provinces and two wins against Italy. So we'll be hoping for more of the same next weekend um, against France. So big cheers to everybody for watching and listening. A big thank you to producer Pat, Paul, Dermot, Ian, Anthony and everyone that helped getting this show together. This has been House of Rugby Ireland on Joe together with Guinness. Slung full. Slung. <laughs> Getting a bit of Irish in there. Oh, I like that. I like that. House of Rugby Ireland, here on Joe, together with Guinness. Game changed. <laughs>